it, it's easy to fall into being a mother and losing the time and your that you used to make for yourself and losing your the hobbies that you love and i just i just refuse to do that hello hello and good afternoon you guys i'm your host harley and this is the ranch collective podcast where we talk with western industry professionals to share educate and give a platform to those inside the industry and to give those who are outside of it a look at the day-to-day by having real conversations with guests. Today, I've got the wonderful Brandy Buzzard back on, and we are talking about motherhood and some of the changes that that brings, um, mental health, and we're also talking about food safety and where you can get your food safely, and we are also talking about not judging other people for what they choose to eat. So, without further ado, here's the episode. Hey you guys, it's Harley. I'm just hopping in before we start the episode to tell you about my other business, Pullage Company, and our retainer packages. So Josiah and I co-own a photography business where we partner with other small businesses, advocates, and influencers to create social media content. Recently, we decided to develop retainer packages for our small business customers who need photo content on a regular basis but don't have an in-house photographer. As you all know, social media is a huge part of growing your business and increasing your brand awareness, so fresh content is important. We are currently offering one, three, and six session packages with different time choices. You'll get high quality, professionally edited photos in unlimited locations, and a phone or Zoom planning session so that we can make the most of our time together. For more information and pricing, please head over to our social media at Polich Company, that's P-O-L-I-C-H Company, or click the link in today's episode notes. Thanks for having me on the podcast this evening. Um, I'm Brandy Buzzard. I am a rancher and mom and cowgirl and globetrotter and lots of other things. I live in Southeast Kansas. My husband Hyatt and I own and operate um, High Bar Cattle Company, which is a purebred Gelvy and Balancer seed stock operation. So we sell purebred Balancer and Gelvy bulls and females. We also do um, a turn or two of stalkers every year, grass cattle. And we have really um, increased the size of our freezer beef business in the past few years because of the pandemic. So we're pretty heavily entrenched in selling custom beef by the quarter, half, or whole. We have two daughters. Um, the oldest is um, Oakley. She is six. And the baby, Quincy, is almost 18 months old. So we, and among being, having a lot of irons in the fire with jobs and cows and hobbies and such, we also, you know, are parents and chasing two young children around. So lots and lots of things going on. Yeah. And last time we talked, um, okay, I've said this on the show, but I don't know if I've actually said it to you. The last time we talked was the interview that changed, like it shifted the whole direction of this podcast, which is actually really fun. <laughs> oh, apparently I haven't said this to you. Okay. So yeah, I didn't know that. It, my first interview with you, which would have been late fall, maybe early winter, 2020, somewhere around in there. Um, you were one of my first, like, I think 10 episodes and yeah, I think I remember that. Yeah. I, I didn't on. know what I was doing yet. Um, and it's very embarrassing to go back and listen. You still should listeners if you haven't you should um but <laughs> it was the first um interview I did with someone who was doing any kind of ag education and after I released it I felt really good about it it was like one of the first ones where I was like 
yes, this is what I want to be talking to. These are the people who I want to talk to. And I still, people will still tell, tell me how much they liked that episode with you, that first episode with you. And oh. I'm like, that was a long time ago. <laughs> That's nice. That's a great thing to hear. Yeah. So um, I, I thought I had mentioned that to you, but now you know. Maybe you had. I'm for, I'm I've gotten pretty forgetful with the, the coming of the second kid. So there's only so much room for space and the old noggin there. But that's great to hear. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, yeah, so I think the last time we talked, you were still it was mid-pandemic. We were like four or five or six months in, and you guys were like not you guys were still like starting to get the uh direct is it direct to consumer like beef business. Yeah going but that's going what's going well now yeah we um I was actually just uh last night I was sitting on the couch I was messaging our um clients that they have beef ready to pick up and also trying to sell three other ones um yeah we've we've grown quite a bit it used to be when we first started selling beef direct to consumer it would be like we maybe had one or two a year you know that we didn't have a very big herd in general when we first got started you know like 40 head or something less than that. And so if we had an odd one that didn't fit like a group of cattle that we were going to take to the auction market, we would feed that one out and sell it for beef. Well, now we have, you know, a lot more cows. Um, so we use that, like if we have a bull that doesn't fit our specs or doesn't fit our standards to sell as a prebred bull, we will take his manhood and he will become freezer beef and so we just have a lot more of those because we have a larger herd now um and then if we have a few stalkers that maybe don't fit the don't meet the sort when the buyer comes to get them they go into that feeder pen so we're not raising any animals specifically for freezer beef like that's not when they're born here that's not their intention but we do have an outlet for those animals which helps us diversify our income and also is some added value to those animals that don't fit the other marketing avenues but instead it brings more than just hauling to the auction market because they are it is high quality beef it does get fed you know it's grass-fed grain finished it's getting a high um, concentrate diet so um, it's allowed us to diversify our income add a little bit extra profit there on instead of hauling to the auction market and so I think you know we maybe we do like I don't know, maybe 20 full beef a year, um, which isn't a massive amount, but for a, for us, with, that's not our main priority and we just sell by the quarter. We don't sell by the cut. Um, you know, it, it's going pretty well. It reminds me though, that I need to call the butcher like tomorrow morning first thing <laughs> and get our 2024 butcher slots booked. Cause I usually do that beginning of the year and it's already February. So Penny, if you're listening, hold some spots for me. <laughs> Um, I did not realize that you had to book them this far in advance. Um, I'm actually going to write a note now. Call Penny. Book <laughs> um, so when we first started, like in 2020, when March, when we found out this shutdown was coming in things, I called and got like a few throughout that year. Um, cause I knew we had some and I, and I recognized when I started to see food be kind of short on the shelves, I was like, oh, we didn't not trying to like take advantage of anybody, but this is an opportunity for us to, like I said, diversify our income. And so I just got some spots that year in 2020. And then we got to the end of the year and our butcher contact was like, I'm going to open up the whole year, the first six months of the year in January. So I booked 2021 in January. 
And then in July, they opened up the rest of 2021. And I did the rest of 2021. And then as far into 2022 as they would let me. And then at the beginning of 2022, I called and just did all of 2023. And so now it's just, I just book them the first of the year because I don't think that this trend is going to go away. I think that, I don't think this is a trend. I don't think people have like all of a sudden learned more about where their food comes from and gotten these connections with farmers and ranchers, whether it be getting their own, getting their popcorn or their beef or their chicken or whatever it is from a direct from a um, farmer rancher I don't think people are all of a sudden going to decide hey I don't want to do that anymore I think people are valuing that that connection and are going to keep doing it so we may not like grow to 50 head a year and that's fine but I don't see it shrink shrinking for us so um it's funny we actually have a customer of ours I go to church with her and she bought a quarter her I think her and her one of her kids, like her kids' family, got a quarter and split it. And she previously was vegetarian. Like she'd been eating meat for a long time. And then she, they stopped eating meat. She was vegetarian for I don't know how many years. And now the only beef that they will eat is our beef. Like that's it. They refuse. They won't eat beef from the grocery store, even though beef from the grocery store is safe and nutritious and healthy. And it's literally the same nutritious, safe product that you get from your local butcher. But they will only eat beef from us, which is a huge compliment to me. Yeah. And like, I don't know that I've ever converted a vegetarian before, but that's <laughs> kind of cool. Like, I don't know if they eat pork or chicken or anything now, but I, they went from not being a vegetarian to now eating beef. And so I feel like that's a huge compliment and um, a huge testament to the relate what you can, um, the kind of relationships that you can build with people if you're willing to be open-minded and not just bash vegans, bash, veg bash vegetarians. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've seen a lot of uh, shifting away from bashing those groups, at least like in you know, collectively, like our online sphere. I know there's a number of, um, for lack of a better word, ag influencers who are now promoting like, just eat like, mm -hmm. eat from like farmers and ranchers. It doesn't have to be beef from our ranch. It can be you know, corn from the next ranch over, it can be beans or like whatever, just like support farming and agriculture as like a bigger message instead of like yeah. uh, giving a middle finger to vegetarians and vegans, which I think is actually a much better way to approach it. Not them giving the middle finger, the new way that I see a lot of our, of right. our friends approaching it because then you're not um, just automatically excluding someone who's making what they believe is the best choices for their own bodies. Right. Yeah. I know what you mean. Like it used to be, and I'm guilty of it. Like I'm, I just did a keynote and a workshop at a conference um, last weekend and, or two weekends ago. And I told the audience in the workshop, like, I'm not perfect. Like I can speak, stand up here and tell you these things that this is what we should do. And I'm coming from a place of like, I have been here and I have done them. I have made the mistakes and said the wrong things and made the bad choices. And I can stand up here and say that I don't think that's the most effective way. And I've, I've made the mistakes and I've been the bad actor. So I feel like I have a place that I have something to stand on to say, like, maybe let's do better and be better. <clears throat> so it's not comfortable for me to say that I was wrong because I'm an Enneagram eight <clears throat> and we hate being wrong. But, um, I felt like people needed to hear that, that like, I've been wrong. I've said the wrong things. I've done a lot of like said a lot of things or done a lot of clickbait titles that were wrong in the past. And that, um, 
I'm not proud of, but I'd like to think that I know better. Now I do better. So like I can write the clickbait headline or post on Facebook or Instagram, and I know what will get shares, but is that going to resonate with someone who's looking for information about their food? No, they're going to be offended. And rightfully so. Like I would, I don't like, I don't want people criticizing me just because I eat meat. So why should I criticize someone just for the reason that they're a vegan or vegetarian? Because as it turns out, vegans and vegetarians also eat. And like, guess what? This food also comes from farmers and ranchers. So just because they're not eating beef or pork or chicken or whatever, doesn't mean they're not supporting agriculture. They're just not supporting my segment of agriculture, but they could be supporting all of my farmer friends who don't raise animals. So like I said, I can get the clickbait. I know what to write and I know what to post and to say to like grow my audience, but I would prefer not to do it that way because I think for me, it feels disingenuous for me to do that. And it also sends a message that I'm not willing to have conversations with people because that's not the case. I want to have conversations with people. That was a really long answer to your question. <laughs> sorry. I was like, I don't even remember what the question was, but I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I get rambly. I always tell people that I'm like the person that's on stage is authentic and rambly and sarcastic and random. And that the person at home is is sarcastic or rambly and random. So, I mean, you're getting like, this is me at home and this is me on stage too. So I, you know, I hold true to that. Well, and I think there's never like a bad time to reiterate that just because someone doesn't eat or choose to eat the same foods as you do, that doesn't mean they're a bad person or just because they're exactly. agriculture doesn't mean they're a bad person or that they're your enemy. And there's always somewhere in the middle where we can always find common ground. Yeah, I, I completely agree. There's always common ground. Like I say a lot that I don't have anything in common with like a vegan that lives in a New York high rise apartment, except for the fact I want to give my family healthy food. I want to consume healthy, safe food. That is our common ground. So we all want to eat safe, healthy food. Yeah. Yeah. Which can come from the grocery store just as much as it can come from the farmer next door. Um uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. Great. So you, you saying that reminded me of it. So like, I, I get really frustrated when I see anybody say like, put down food at the grocery store so that they can promote their own product. You can promote your product without putting down somebody else's product. It's totally possible. I sell 20 head of freezer beef a year that way. You don't have to put your, somebody else's product down to sell your own. That's not what I was going to say earlier. I still, I forgot it again, but I thought that was an important point is that well, you have to put someone else down to promote yourself. Yeah. One of my favorite things that uh, has happened in any interview actually did happen in the first interview I had with you. And you said something along the lines of, um, hang on. can you still hear me? I can still hear you. Yes. Um, you said something along the lines of, um, we have to like be mindful of like um, not pricing anyone out of buying healthy, nutritious food and whether that's beef or it's, you know, eggs right, right now um, or just like your basic vegetables and stuff. That was something that I think, I think about that actually very often because I see a lot of not just like friends, but I get targeted ads of like, get your GMO free beef at this specific grocery store. And I know I can can see Grace talking about it, but, um, and it's like, okay, but 
most people, myself included, if I was feeding more than just me, if it's just me and Josiah, cannot afford to pay the money that they want for a label that is mm-hmm. not real. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I remembered it. You said this. You said that. Okay. I wrote something a couple weeks ago. Food is emotional. Food is so much more than calories. Food is emotional. Food is tied to memories. Um, people make food choices based on more than just like what they see in the grocery store. People make food choices based on their demographic background, the way they were raised, nostalgia, price, dietary restrictions, preferences, what they can afford, what they think tastes bad. Like people make decisions based on so many things that we don't even have that we're not even privy to. Like if you walk to the grocery store and you saw my cart, you might think that I'm like, I don't know. You might form some preconceived notion about me, but you don't know how much I make. You don't know the kind of foods I was raised on. You don't know know the kind of foods that I'm allergic to. You don't know the kind of foods that my kids will eat. Like you don't know anything when you look at somebody's grocery cart other than what's in it. And so I think it's really, sometimes it's really frustrating for us to judge people for what they um, eat just because we don't necessarily love it. And it's, it's akin to mom shaming, right? The, the mom community can be really vicious sometimes judging moms for what they do or don't do. And it's the same thing with food. Like we can be really vicious judging people based on what they do or do not eat when in all actuality, like just let people eat what they want. And if they have questions, be there for them and help dispel misinformation. And absolutely, if vegans or vegetarians are like attacking my family or our ranch or something like that, that's a different story. But I'm not going to just like attack a vegan or a vegetarian because they don't eat meat. Like, I don't want to be attacked because I don't like vegetables. So yeah, there's a a massive component of called empathy that needs to be taken into consideration. It's it's very, very easy when you're educating in the online space like a lot of what the education you do is and a lot of what this show is is in the online space um for keyboard warriors and or people who don't remember that that's a human being that they're speaking to on the other side or um they just assume that like if you disagree you're not a real person or you're like some robot or something like that um it's very easy to forget that it's a human being with like a whole life. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like it's really easy to sit behind a keyboard. And again, I'm guilty of these things. Oh, uh, sure. I'd you. like to think that I don't do it anywhere near as often or it is all like, I'm trying not to do it, but it's really easy to not know who you're talking to and just rattle off something snarky or rude. And that's why I always tell people to write angry and then breathe and then proofread before you publish it. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's important to remember that we are all just people trying to get through our lives happy, happily and healthily and to not just tear people down for little incon like minor disagreements. That's the word I'm looking for. Disagreement. You brought up the most perfect world's most perfect transition when you start talking about, oh. Oh, okay. passive, but we're going to go, we're going to go back. Um, yeah. Because that is actually a big part of what I wanted to bring you back on to talk about was doing, continuing to be like your own person when you become a mom, because I'm almost 30, you're in your 30s. Lots of our friends and families are 
having kids, going to have kids or having second, third, fourth kids. Um, and those come, that comes with like some really big changes in who you are, who you think you are and all that. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, I had one kid when we talked the first time, Oakley, but since, you know, since we last talked, I had another one and even going from one to two was a huge shock. Like I felt like I had things handled and like ran a tight ship. And um, now we have two and I just drastically underestimated how much more time another kid takes. So yeah, I mean, I'm an open book. <laughs> one of the things that I do, <laughs> that I um, see you talk about a ton is like continuing to, be this is going to sound so weird but I don't know how to better phrase it it's like continuing to like be your own person while still being a mom that doesn't sound weird at all because that's what it is okay tell me more about it yeah I mean being a mother like you the easiest thing to do when you become a mom is lose yourself in becoming a mom and motherhood because it is so much work to be a parent particularly a mom and that's nothing against dads at all so I don't want any guys to come after me for saying that, but like being a motherhood, being a mom and motherhood is a whole new level of being needed. You know, like there's a human dependent on me. My oldest daughter, it doesn't matter if her father is five feet from her. If she needs something, she comes to me. Now the youngest one is very much daddy's girl right now, but I have a feeling that will probably change as she gets older. But they just need so much and it's really easy to get caught up in taking care of their needs, making their doctor's appointments, spending time with them, snuggling them, you know, when they're newborn, like that first like six or eight months, like they are, they are helpless. And so it's really easy to just get caught up in that. And then if you add another child or another child and like, then you're just, it, it's easy to fall into being a mother and losing the time and your that you used to make for yourself and losing your the hobbies that you love and i just i just refuse to do that i god did not make me to be someone who can handle being a mom and not making time for myself i i think there are millions and millions of women who are so happy to be a mom and that's all they want to do and that is totally okay with me. And that is great for them because I'm not here to mom shame anybody. I'm not here to food shame anybody, but I just don't, my chemical and mental makeup does not allow me to be happy with being a mom and not pursuing my own ventures. So I, um, I have a, a husband who was well aware when we got married that this was, I was never going to just handle all the mom stuff and not expect him to help to pull his weight. I shouldn't even say help. My husband pulls his weight as a parent. He does not help. My husband does not babysit. It's too bad that this is an audio only because people cannot see me emphasizing that my husband <laughs> does not babysit my husband parents. That is what he's doing right now. I put dinner in the oven. He is feeding the kids. He will bathe the kids and he will probably put them to bed. And that is the way it works. And if he, when he is gone for three nights this week, I will feed the kids and bathe them into the bed because I'm a parent. And he has not had to give up his hobbies 
and his time for his himself. Not that he had a lot of time for it anyway, but he has not given up those things that he, that, you know, speak to him and his passions. And I'm not going to give mine up either. So it does take a lot of work and effort because my hobby rodeo and running are fairly time consuming. I have, I need time to ride my horses and it's hard to ride a horse with a little infant and a toddler like on the horse with you. But he recognizes that when I am able to do things that provide me happiness, I am a better, I'm a better wife. I'm a better mom. I'm, I'm happier. I don't have my, my anxiety isn't as high. I'm not, I don't go into deep dark places. So for my mental health, I need to do things more than providing for my kids because for me, that that doesn't work for me. And again, it works for millions and millions and millions of women but it doesn't work for me and my lifestyle. So I've just refused. It's hard to come back and get back up on that horse, literally. Um, and it, I have a friend of mine who ropes and rodeos and has two daughters also said it's always felt like it took her really a year to bounce back. And I always have felt like these last two 18 months, like I bounced back really good in the summer. And then we hit calving late calving season so then we get to november and it's breeding season and it's rainy and cold and then the days like december there's 10 minutes of daylight and then january is cold and i'm traveling and so i don't get the rodeo or ride really very much november through january or february so when march gets here i'm usually like gung-ho ready to go but again rambling but i got pretty strong feelings about things i'm not someone who is uh indifferent about very many things. (laughs) Well, you said a lot of, I think, really, really important things in your ramble. Um, The first of which is that your husband does not babysit. He parents. Um, If you want to see me get riled up, not, not like you ask me that, but like be a fly in a wall. If someone asks me if my husband, like I go somewhere and my kids aren't with me and they're like, where are your kids? Well, I didn't bring them to work. I didn't bring them to a work function or a speaking event. My husband is at home with him. Oh, he's babysitting. No, he's not babysitting. I, I, I do not try to be reserved when people ask me that. I make it very clear that fathers are parents, not babysitters. Absolutely. I actually um, don't have a lot of really close friends with little kids where I like, I get to go spend um, more than a couple hours with them, but I have a friend who's got three kids and the oldest just turned six. So they're all young. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting, like watching her, like be a mom and then watching her husband be a dad. Cause I haven't spent a ton of time watching good friends, you know, do that. And then she's like, Hey, I need you to put on your parenting pants because I'm taking Harley to lunch. And he was like, Oh, okay. Like, just like that was the most normal thing in the world. And I've seen like lots of situations where it's like, no, the kids have to go with you. It's like, no, I'm going with my friend and we're going, you can be a dad for a few hours. Yeah. And I think honestly, that even, that doesn't make me upset or anything like that, but that is also a very interesting difference between moms and dads in my, in my experience, in my opinion. So knowing that there are family, there are single parent households and there are households where a dad is the single parent and that, you know, like, and there's, you know, there's lots of different family functions or family setups, but like specifically in my experience with a mom and a dad and two kids and the parents are married and they'll live together in this family union. Mm-hmm. I have noticed that moms are never not moms. Mm-hmm. Like I don't ever take my mom hat off ever. Even when I'm gone, 
I don't take my mom hat off because I'm texting like, did you make sure and send a dollar for dollar dress down day? Did you make sure and pack her lunch? She doesn't like drumstick day at school. Like all the stuff, like the mental load that we talk about for moms, parents, like moms carry that a lot of the time. And so even if a dad is pulling his weight and is, you know, able to capable to do that, like the dad may not know all the little things about like which pair of school pants do not are not long enough. So don't even try to get those like just that stuff. But it's just really interesting to me that like moms are always moms. Dads put on their dad hat or their parenting hat, like, and then they take it off really easily. And that's, maybe that's just my family. I don't know, but that's what it seems like I've noticed. And again, it's not an indictment on dads or men at all. I'm not anti-man. I'm married to a man, but it does seem like, I don't know many moms who take a mom hat off. They're just I'm a mom now. I'll be a mom till I die. Even when my kids are, even when I have grandkids and great grandkids, I will never, ever take my mom hat off. Yeah. And I, that is also really interesting. I know like part of that was like, he was coming, walking in from work. He's a rancher and she's, a, it sounds weird to say like a stay at home mom. Cause she also has a stay at home mom, but she's essentially like a stay at home mom. So that was her letting him know like, Hey, I'm taking my mom hat off. It's time to hand the reins over to you so I can go be friend and not mom for a few hours right right um well, I get it like I said I'm not I'm not like criticizing anybody oh no it's just something sure. I noticed that like like I'm in the when in the car like if I'm driving so in our car in our household like whoever's driving the other parent is helping the kid okay kid so like if my husband is driving I know that if a child needs a toy or needs a drink from their cup or something like I know that I'm doing that when I'm driving my daughter the six-year-old who's the one that knows how to ask for things like forget like just continues to ask me and I have to like tell my husband like I'm driving it is now your job to do these things like yeah do this people can't see my hands right now but like and so <laughs> I noticed that like it's just like telling him them to telling him to like put your dad hat on like or your dad pants or whatever like my mom pants my mom hat is always on I'm not gonna say my mom pants are always on <laughs> you know what that just reminded me of there's a um you know how Saturday Night Live does like commercial skits oh yeah they have those mom jeans yeah that's what it, that just reminded me I have a pair of mom jeans high-waisted mom <laughs> jeans I don't love them I'm not really sure why that's so it's not for me it's not for me I but. have well I have a really long torso, so like most and shorter legs, so like most of my jeans are higher waisted, just so that way they fit me appropriately. Because mm-hmm. low waisted jeans are like not it for me. Um, mm-hmm. Parasol and whatever she wants are not it for me. Um, and so I have a bunch of like my mom's clothes from like the '90s. So she's got a whole bunch of like her mom jeans that like sit up almost to the ribs, and I wore them a lot in college. I don't really wear them now. Um, but like when they were like high-waisted, like barely covering your butt cheeks was the the vibe. Oh yeah. Mm-mm. I did that a lot in college. It was looking back. I'm like horrified by the photos. I'm like, what the, what was I thinking? <laughs> no, I don't even think I wore shorts a lot in college. Very much a jean person. Cause I don't like to sit on seats and then like my legs stick to it. So Uh-oh. I don't I wear a lot of shorts in college. Um, I spent a lot of time. Well, I did like at the rec, but like to class and stuff, I don't think I did. Oh, to class, I didn't. Um, I wore a lot of yoga pants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but outside of class, I was like 
always in shorts or a dress because I got, I had nice legs. I got to show them off. Yes. Show off those stems. <laughs> I was like, they're short little baby legs. I got to show off what I have. You got to do it. Um, but yeah. And then something else that I thought was um, interesting because it just reminded me of Josiah's mom. Actually, you said you'll still be mom even when you're a grandma. And mm -hmm. over the summer, Josiah's grandparents were visiting his mom's mom. And mm -hmm. we were making something in the kitchen and then it caught fire in the oven. Oh. And Josiah's mom is like super handy. She's been married for like 40 years, like knows the kitchen up and down. Like she's like tradition, very traditional, like mom role, right? Can right. She, oh no. Did you leave? Okay. Sorry. Something, a random window opened in front of, in front of the um, Zoom call. And um, so she can like do anything. And so when this thing lights fire, she looks at, she looks at her mom and goes, mom, what do I do? Oh, that's funny. It was so funny. Cause I never like see her like that. She was just like, mom, mom help. <laughs> yeah. It was I get really it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I, I totally understand that. So um, how, so you said you kind of, you've always known that like you would have to do this thing for yourself while also being a mom, right? What do you mean? Sorry. Like, you have to like have this time, space, hobby, et cetera. For <clears throat> I did not know before we had kids that I would be that way. Cause I mean, like before you have kids, you have no frame of reference for what your life will be like after kids. Like you have no idea what it'll be like, it, it, like nothing prepares you for it. I mean, we can all give each other advice and stuff like that. And you can listen to that advice, but also it's like, you don't, you just don't know what your life will be like until you're in it. So I didn't know how much I would need to be able to like spend time outdoors and ride my horse and stuff like that for my mental health. And it's not like I need three hours a day to go outside and be around the horses and ride and practice like, but it's amazing how I feel as a like as not as a mom, like as a person with goals, when I get like a half hour to ride, practice, you know, ride, rope the dummy, something like that. Um, so I didn't know that before I had kids though. Like it, it was a realization after I got through the first couple months of motherhood with my firstborn. Can you tell me about how you came to that realization? Cause I think that's a tough place where a lot of new moms that I know are, is they're just kind of like, I need something, but like, I don't know how to vocalize that. I don't know what, like mentally, how to put that out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was really, I mean, like I said, I have made a lot of mistakes and I have a temper um, that I have constantly working on keeping in check and working through my feelings and things like that. But like, I was really resentful of my husband for the first several months of being a mom because he, so he went back to work pretty quickly and he travels a lot for his job so he was gone and then we had all these cows and so I was like on maternity leave by myself in the middle of the night like taking care of this baby pumping taking care of a newborn feeding all the cows putting hay out trying to take care of this baby no sleep and like had no time to do anything for myself and like it took me quite a while for me to realize like I like like I think I got to ride a couple times Cause I always wanted to ride, but it wasn't until I did it that I realized like how good it was for me. So I don't really know how long it was, but like, I just, I started realizing like, oh, 
I'm happier when I get to do this. I need to keep doing this because I, I want to do it anyway. And now there's a reason for me to do it, which is my mental health is better. I'm a better, I'm like a less crabby wife. I'm a less stressed out mom. So I don't really know where that realization was, but I'm sure it was like a gradual realization. Like I didn't just go ride my horse one day. It was like, boom, problem solved. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a gradual realization. And like I said, it's really hard November through February for me to get time to do that because there's just not the amount of daylight and the weather isn't conducive to it. So, you know, that wasn't helpful because I had our firstborn at the beginning of December. So I was already going into a period of time where I couldn't ride naturally anyway. And then that was extended even more so by having a newborn infant with my husband being gone so much in February, March, and April. And so it was probably like May or June where I finally like was trying to get back to my old self and get literally get back on that horse and get back to rodeoing when I was like realizing like I need to do this for me. The sweet spot is when I get when I get to run in the morning before the girls get up for school and daycare and then I get a, ro- a horse road at night that that's uh endorphins maximized for me well yeah okay I saw you like started running again pretty soon after you had Quincy didn't you um I don't know that I was like running running like I maybe like a couple months into it well gosh that's been so long ago I don't think I was because it's really, I was, so I was breastfeeding for 16 months and anybody who's ever breastfed knows it's really, for me, it's really uncomfortable to run and be breastfeeding. So I didn't get back into running until the morning, like summer of 2022, like in the mornings, I think. Okay. Maybe you were doing some like walking with the girl or something like that. Cause I thought I saw yeah, you. Like, I got I back to, yeah. I got back to walking. Um, pretty quickly because I knew being outside was good for my, I don't like being hot and I had her in August, but like I knew being outside was going to, from the, from having the first kid, I knew going into the second kid that like, I needed to be outside. I needed to get 30 minutes of outside time for me. Even if it was with the newborn, like I needed to be outside for 30 minutes a day to get air and sunshine. Like I needed to be able to do that. So we would walk before it got hot in the morning or in the evenings after it was starting to cool down. Cause I was on maternity leave from the middle of August through the very beginning of November. And then when it got cooler, I, you know, I would do it in the, in the day. So yes, I got to walking back to walking pretty quickly afterwards. Um, as long, you know, I, I made sure my doctor was okay with it. Um, so yeah, but I'm actually not back to running full anymore. I, like I started up again and I tried to start again, maybe a few months ago and the weather got bad and I got sick. And so I haven't started back up again, but I anticipate starting back up once the weather warms up, probably like in April, March or April running during the day. And then when it gets too hot to do that, I'll run in the morning. So, but yeah, I was really active in Quincy's pregnancy. Like I ran a few months, like maybe three months or four months into the pregnancy, I was running probably three. And then even after I was too pregnant to run comfortably, I know that there's lots of women who run all the way through and that's great for them. Like I don't, if I can't run fast, I don't want to do it. And also I was pregnant in the summer. And so once it gets like May and June, it's too hot for me to be outside and be pregnant. But I continued to walk with her. I would, you know, there was, it was not uncommon for me to like in July around seven 30 or eight, once it started to actually cool down a little bit for me to go for like walk for 35 or 40 minutes. And, you know, that helped me be fit. And I really think that helped me recover really quickly from having her, um, and help me get back to like being on a horse and being active again. 
Yeah. Well, and walking is like, it's so good for your hips and stuff. I've heard it's so good for your hips, especially like in later pregnancy, if you can comfortably like go for any length of walk, it like helps keep like your hips a little more open. Allegedly. I don't know. I've never been pregnant. I wouldn't, that would not surprise. Like, I don't know that for sure, but that would not surprise me. I mean, because I know after I had Oakley, it took me a long time to recover to where I was like, where I was walking and wasn't sore, you know, and I was a long time before I could ride. And I felt like I hopped right back up. Like I was out in the barn with Quincy when she was like four or five days old. I wasn't doing a lot, but like I was out in the barn walking around. I recovered a lot more quickly in terms of like physical pain after having Quincy than I did after having Oakley. Like my body still had to heal and like the swelling still has to go down and you, you know, lose weight and things like that. Like all that still was happening, but just like how I felt was better after Quincy. Yeah. Which is good. I don't know. <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> I, you know, like I said, what, what I didn't know with the first one, I'm glad I knew with the second one. Yeah, for sure. Um, there is something that you said, mentioned that I did want to circle back to because there's been a lot um, in the news recently about PPD and postpartum anxiety. Oh, yeah. um, and you specifically mentioned, and it's, it's I know it's hard to talk about, but you specifically mentioned that you noticed that you were like resentful and you had a temper. And yeah. I think it's, um, thank you for talking, being willing to like, talk about it because I've seen with all of that stuff going on in the news, I've seen people who I would have never thought that about are like, yeah, I was really anxious. I literally thought I was going to die every minute of every single day after I had my first baby. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. Um, well, I thankfully never felt like I was going to die. So that was, I'm grateful for that. But um, yeah, I had what I feel like is a pretty severe case of postpartum anxiety. And I like, I always have a temper. Like I came into this world mad and I'll leave mad. Like I just, that's probably, I, I think, I don't know. But I, I've always had a temper that wasn't exacerbated by having a baby. But like, I never had been resentful of my husband until we had kids, until the stark differences between motherhood and fatherhood and just juggling being a parent and jobs and cows like to all that stuff came into play so I don't remember being resentful of him until then and that's unfortunate for both of us because that's not how I want my marriage to be and, and things are way better now um than they were then but it took a lot of like reflection and healing and communication and, and teamwork to get there and to get here but um I didn't know that it was that I knew about postpartum depression like I knew that that was a thing but I didn't know postpartum anxiety was a thing until like I was several months into it was, was reading about it. And like, then I, now I know, like I absolutely had it. Um, it would start to get dark. And again, I had her in December, my firstborn. And so it's already, I already am kind of predisposed to like the winter blues. Like if I, if I don't, if I, before we had kids, if I didn't go outside in December and get some like sunlight and fresh air, like I just felt blah. I didn't feel like depressed. I just felt just blah. And then I added a baby in where I wasn't really getting out very much. And like though I would, it would start to get dark and I would feel the walls closing in on me and I would be terrified to be alone. And my husband would be sitting on the couch next to me at like seven 30 at night. And it was dark outside and he would start to fall asleep. And I was like, you can't fall asleep. You can't leave me alone. And it was really bad like that for a while. Um, and I never got like any medication or anything, 
Um, thankfully I kind of, like I said, I came into the realization and like, as I was the further, we got in and like, Hey, I need to get outside. I need air. I need sunlight. And my husband was like, he understood what was happening too. And so we worked together to make that happen. But, um, I was never on any medication, but it was good that I figured out what was going on because with the second one, I knew what to expect. Like I knew that I could possibly get that way. And so I knew what I needed to do to prevent it. So I was able to get outside and do that. And still, I'm still get anxious in December, like when it's really dark in the winter. So I feel it the most, like when I've taken, like if I'm got to go do something in town or do something after work and I'm coming home with the girls and it's dark and like the whole way home, I'm thinking I have to, I still have to get these, like, it feels like. I'm trying not to say this something like too dramatic. Like it doesn't feel like the world is ending. It feels like I'm running out of time. Cause like, I know that bedtime is at this time and I want to get them in bed because then I only have a certain amount of time for myself, for me to take a shower, pick up or work on my computer or something. And so like, if I'm out in the winter after five 30 or once it gets darks with the girls and I'm going somewhere, like it's just, it's stressing me out and giving me anxiety because I feel behind. I feel like the walls are closing and I feel late. It's a very darkness oriented thing for me. And, um, sometimes it even happens in the summer, but it's, it's very rarely in the summer, but it's very much tied to the amount of daylight, um, that I get and the season. It's very much a winter thing. That's really interesting. Um, I, I hate it. Yeah. That's <laughs> I hate that my brain is that way. Cause I don't remember being <laughs> I don't remember it being that bad before I had kids. Like I remember it a little like tinges of it here and there, but not the like driving home thing and not, you know, feeling behind when I'm driving, but yeah, I I don't love it. Well, hopefully um, as the years go by, it gets a little bit better. (laughs) Yeah. Like I was outside and cleaned tonight after work, I cleaned stalls and went, looked at the cows and couple bull calves and stuff like that. And it was fine. I mean, it literally doesn't have to be two hours. It just needs to be some daylight and getting outside. So I usually do the chores in the morning. Like my husband and I will split up who takes the girls to daycare and school and who does the chores. And usually since I work from home, I'm on chore duty. So I get my fresh air and stuff in the morning. And then, you know, I get another dose of it in the evening. So that's good. We're coming up on longer days. We got longer days every day now. So yeah I'm not I don't want it to be hot but I am looking you know I do appreciate the longer days today it was nice it was like 65 out all day here was For, yeah it was like high 50s well I think it was high 50s it was really 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 windy so that made it a little chillier but it wasn't like 20 degrees so I'm not complaining at all me neither after we had all that ice last week to be outside and like be like in a light blazer and be comfortable I'm like I oh, guess this is what I would like Yeah. I was in new Orleans last week. So I missed all the really cold weather. So now like I'm looking at the forecast this week and it's like mostly high fifties or eh, mid to high forties, some low fifties. The next week it's back up in the fifties and stuff. Like it's, it's all very manageable, not miserable weather. So no complaints for me. I'm trying today. I was trying not to get all excited and think about chicks and my garden and stuff. I was just like, (laughs) well, Brandy pump the brakes. It's only beginning of February and usually February and March are like the worst winter for us where I'm at. Winter is way worse in February and March than it is in December and January for us. So just like pump the brakes. It is here too, oddly enough. Um, 
Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we wrap on up? Um, I don't think so. I will say that if people want to find me online, um, I am on Instagram at Brandy Buzzard. Be Brandy like the whiskey, but with an I and buzzard like the bird. Um, my Facebook page is Buzzards Beat. That's the name of my blog as well, buzzardsbeat.com. And on there, you can find all sorts of information about me, um, my blog posts, public speaking information, all sorts of stuff like that. Perfect. That was going to be the very last thing I had to ask for you. <laughs> Sorry. No worries. <laughs> from you. Thank you again for giving me some of your time. Ted. This has been really, really wonderful. And I hope we can do it again before another two years is up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed it. It was nice to talk to you again. And um, thanks for having me on the podcast again. It was great. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to connect with me on social media. It's at Ranch Collective Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. See you next week.